0: The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and an organization called Renew led a track called Renewing the Teaching of Jesus for Disciple Making. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. Now here's today's track session.
1: I spend most of my life overseas. I'm an American, I'm proud to be an American, I'm gonna say all that right up front. And I come back to America and hear all these people bemoan, what's going wrong in America, why don't we have a revival and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> all it takes is one Henry. All it takes is one person, disciple a half dozen people and can change this country. And it might be an obscure person. Now, she actually was a very dynamic person. She sort of invented the whole Sunday school movement in the United States and found a printing press. But she started out as a school teacher. Um, God could use your disciples to change this country in the 21st century. Do you believe it? Yeah. Okay. And so, so, one of the themes that you're
2: going to hear in this conversation. One of the things that you would hear if you talked with Bill every day is, the key to disciple-making movements is ordinary people. Um, He drew it up for me like this um, not long ago. How many Billy Grahams are there? Not very many. That's right. But how many people like you and me are there? Okay? The key is not reproducing Billy Graham's. And part of the problem with so much of the discipleship stuff out there right now, that you really focus is up here, the key is ordinary. And so, if you're coming in here thinking, "I'm not a Henry and Mears," I'm just for the people that I'm working with. We're just kind of ordinary people. That's the key to discipling. That's one of the themes that you're going to hear. Now, Bill, I know you don't want to be negative. But if I could ask, what are the... So having seen disciple-making movements Mm -hmm. and and, and healthy (laughs) disciple-makers, making healthy disciple-makers, what are some of the glaring mistakes that you see that may be helpful to us to identify? Glaring mistakes. Websites,
1: books, name cards, and organizations, (laughs) speaking circuit, and running all around telling people what they ought to do. I mean... Discipleship is an industry in the United States. People write books about it. People get on the speaking circuit. Disciple makers typically are rather obscure people who invest in others, who invest in others, who invest in others. Um, Now, I have prejudices, and he knows it, and so he's trying to tick some of my prejudices. Many of the key disciple makers that I know around the world don't read books and don't write books. Um, Bangladesh is a country that I go to. There are hundreds of thousands of Muslims and Christians so <laughs> massive wave. But the, a multiple disciple movement out like there. And I've had the privilege of working with a key Bangladesh guy who God is using. And, and he speaks decent English He went to college and one point in my life I was operating a training center in Singapore and, and he came and there were books of disciple making books on strategy and books on church planning movement and he asked me in all humility <clears throat> why do people write those books and this is not a facetious question and I said because because People want others to know how to multiply disciples, and want others to know how to saturate a place with the gospel. And, and, and in humility, he said, "Well, God has used me to raise up many, many disciples and got multiplied house churches. And all I had in Bangladesh was a New Testament, and I just read it and I tried to do what I saw." Now, don't people in America read their Bible? That's an honest conversation. With a humble guy that God had used in a tough situation, <coughs> martyrdoms and rapes and beatings and husband to see just thousands of people come to faith. He said, Now tell me again, why did they, why these people write all these books? That's one of the reasons I keep saying to him, I write books. I think in here it is enough for us to keep busy the rest of our life and to raise up thousands of ordinary people who are going to go and change the world and maybe in the mix there might be a few Billy Grahams and Bill Brights and Richard Halversons and, and that kind of thing. So I'll tell you the beginning of our of our friendship
2: um, about eight years ago. Uh, so we started in 1993 and for years tried to um, make disciples by the books that we read and the conferences that we went to. And it's not that it's all bad. You know, trying to get people into small groups. Now, we live in Northern Virginia where people may commute an hour a day. It's not unusual for people to commute an hour each way a day, so that's two hours on the road, and then they're maybe working nine hours or so. And, and then telling them, and they have kids in sports, and they have a, and then we're saying, and you need to come to a small group. Well, you're not getting home until 8 o'clock, but you need to come to a small group. And, and about eight years ago, I just quit. I said, okay, Lord, and what we, we, um, we I, I, for a number of reasons, we, we've seen the Lord act in new life in ways to say, only God can do that but we hadn't been doing that with, small, with with discipleship. And so I thought, okay, Lord, we're gonna quit trying to be David wearing Saul's armor with disciple making. And we're just gonna pray, Lord, show us how to make disciples rather than trying to force people into some system and that other people have said, this is what works for them. And, um, and so we've been praying and looking and we still we're doing small groups. We were still encouraging people, but we were—we stopped shaming people into it. We stopped making people feel like they were less than full Christians if they weren't doing it. In fact, my brother Phil is so frustrated by hearing that in churches that he's gone to. It's kind of like—is that so? Trying to stick everybody in the same in the same um, hole. And so, I met Bill, and we started having conversations. I said, Bill. How do you disciple people, all kinds of people in North Virginia, without, without having to put on, you know, kind of foist on them false shame? And it's at that point that we, it was like, uh-ho. And Bill was able to think dynamically about making disciples. And it's not about a program. It's not about a particular strategy. It's about building relationships and making disciples. And we're, we're going to get into specifics about this in a little bit. But if that's where you are, if you're frustrated, I honestly, I don't mean to be, I don't want to come across negative. Um, I have five, four staff with us here still, and um, other than myself. And so last night, we spent about an hour and a half debriefing everything that we learned yesterday afternoon. And they were all frustrated because it was like, we were just given theory, theory, ideas, ideas, and 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 we don't know how how do we do this, you know. All this, and so um, and so, but, so Bill had some stuff that was just really practical and helpful. So having said that, okay, what sacred
1: where do you want to go next? We can either go to practical stuff okay. or we can go to sacred cows. We're going we're to do both. Okay, okay. Let me tell you a story. Fourteen years, I was a church planter in Thailand. This was long, long ago, lots of malaria, lots of mosquitoes, that kind of stuff. Some of the church planting was in villages. Villages have a lot of malaria, so you take your mosquito net with you. And Thai rural houses generally one big root, hardwood floor, and so two or three people share a mosquito net. So traveling with local Thai guys or church planters, we always shared the same mosquito net. (laughs) Now, there's a saying in Thai, and i Thai language. There's no secrets when you share a mosquito net with somebody all night. Turn to somebody else and say, there's no secrets when you share a mosquito net with somebody online. Do it. There's, there's no, no, no secrets, secrets, secrets when you share a mosquito net with somebody Okay. So if you're taking <coughs> notes, <laughs> what to do? If you're taking notes... There's no secrets between you and your disciple if you make disciple's. They watch your prayer life. They watch when you are tempted by some pretty girl walking by. They watch when you get dysentery for the 14th time and three times a night you're running out to find some banana tree. To put, but anyway, but there's no secrets if you share a mosquito that. Jesus walked with his disciples. There were no secrets. When Paul picked up that kid, Timothy, about 14 years old, who had been evangelized by his mother's grandmother, and within six months, Paul was sending Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on first persecuted foot. Timothy had been living with Paul pretty close for six months. So, we're down to practical things right now. If you're going to be a disciple-maker, you're going to have to give up your proxy. If you're going to be a disciple-maker, you're going to have to let people get close enough to you that they can see what's really going on in your life, or else it's just can I, programs and websites. Can and I say it in a positive way? Say it in a
2: positive that, way, That was <laughs> refreshing for me. Okay. Being a disciple-maker is not a program or a project. It'll change your life because it has to change the way that you think and the way you see people, (coughs) but it's just what you do all the time. You see every relationship, every opportunity as a disciple-making relationship or opportunity. You're constantly praying for you're to the people that you're specifically purposefully discipling, but you're also you are also living it all the time. You don't turn it on and off like a light switch, which was freeing for me, because if it's a program, you're always maintaining programs like that. I'm not organizational. Jesus I, didn't leave us a leave us a program. No. The, the, the key verse, one for me anyway, the key verse for disciple making is, "Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you." And that line we forget, and I will be with you always. Here's the question: How many disciples will you make this week? How many disciple conversations will you have today? <laughs> Who? This, gets, this is real practical stuff that, that, that Bill has challenged me. There's somebody who will not, there's somebody that God wants to hear the gospel today that will not hear it unless you have a gospel sharing conversation with them. <clears throat> That's just who we are. That's who we want to be. That's what it means to have disciple making eyes. And, and therefore, it's just, it's a lifestyle. That, that where we—that's why prayer matters so much. Because and the key is, I will be with you always. How is Jesus with us always? We have to constantly be praying. Um,
1: okay. I'm going to interrupt you. Every everything, every sentence he says reminds me of a story. And, and so we we gave each other permission at to breakfast today to interrupt each other. Okay. A years ago. God gave a man a powerful, powerful, powerful vision to evangelize North America. It was a powerful vision. He happened to be a Brit, and he came to America as a missionary, and he was totally unsuccessful. His name was John Wesley. I mean, <laughs> the fact that he wasn't converted yet probably had something to do with the fact that he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't yet converted. But. Even before he became a believer, he had a powerful vision for evangelizing North America. Once he got converted, God primarily used him all over Britain. And you know the story, John Wesley got a horse, rode up and down Britain, rode his horse, read his Bible all day, got off, and he preached. And he started a small group, started a class movement, that kind of thing. Well, midway through his ministry, a young man came to him and said, disciple me. And John Wesley said, get a horse, and come follow me around. And the guy's name was Francis Asbury. And he followed John Wesley around for a year. He watched him pray, he watched him preach, he watched him, watched him ride through the rain, the snow, on the back of that bony horse. He watched him for a year, and John Wesley said, I'm buying you a boat ticket, and I'm sending you to North America. Now was 1775. The man's name was Francis Asbury. When Francis Asbury got to North America, there were 300 Methodists and three little weak churches. When Francis Asbury died, there were 200,000 baptized Methodists and another 300,000 kids. The predominant religion west of the Allegheny Mountains was Methodists most of the people in the North American continent who believe believers from Methodists. If I can continue that story just a little this bit,
2: I'm Jesus not sure Day. if this this Bill Jesus has heard Day. this or not. <laughs> um, are you all familiar with Guinness Beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I, was reading, I was reading it last week. Yeah, the, um, the, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is that? John Wesley, <laughs> <laughs> the founders of Guinness Beer were converted, were led to Christ by the Wesley's. They started that company, the reason it's made the way it is was for nutrition. It was like a cheap way to nourish starving people over there. And so, um, Oz Guinness. If any of you look up look up Oz Guinness, you may have read some of his books. Oz Guinness is a descendant of that Guinness family, and that's a story that he tells. But Oz would take his Christian heritage all the way back to John Wesley.
1: Okay, well, if we do the disciple thing, okay. I want to make a couple more people answer in that question. Okay. Okay. So you heard the question. Yeah. How did John Wesley, disciple the man who, two centuries ago, he had more impact on this continent than anybody else? Talk to me. This is practical stuff.
2: I think he kept he put, I, I I believe that the way I understand it is that he put the focus on Jesus Christ,
1: and that was so it wasn't a religion. It was who's our a- leader? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. What else? Just because he couldn't, that God didn't use him to do that particular work, to, in humility, encourage somebody else to do the same thing. See, he could have never known that this would be the result of it. You're right. And he surely prayed that it would be. You're right. And his. Prayers shaped the character of his disciple. Mm -hmm. And one of the secrets of disciple making is we pray that our disciples run faster, go farther, do more than we do. Mm -hmm. A secret of disciple making is conscientiously pray our disciples go faster farther. That's not like in China, Beijing, Olympics, Here's a little quick thing. I know exactly what the coach said to every person in the Beijing Olympics who got a gold medal. I can quote for you exactly what every single coach said of the athletes who got a gold medal. You are gonna run faster than I ever did. You're gonna to have to lift more weights than I ever did. You are gonna have to go farther than I ever did. That's what every coach said to a guy or girl who got a gold medal. And the secret of disciple making one of them, is look a person in the eye and say, God is going to do more through you than he's ever done through me. And believe it, the depth of your bones, and act it out that Amen. your disciple is going to go farther than you and then make it happen in that person's life. That's Sydney Clayton's line. Uh, and maybe she got it from somewhere
2: else, but I don't know if you heard that. It struck me, it's that exact point, is that let your ceiling be your disciples' launching you path. That was Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I just love the way she put okay.
2: it. You're right. I'll never forget Okay, so now, give us a definition here. <laughs> I By the way, when there's so through. much character involved in disciple-making. That's the character of humility. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And therefore, mm-hmm. I want my... I don't know how many... Pastors, we have in here, but there are too many pastors that are about their own insecurities and wanting themselves to be looked at. They're too insecure mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. I want you to do better than because it's about the kingdom. Okay, so what's a disciple? Um, it is helpful to know to have a definition. You need to kind of come up with a biblical definition for yourself, but for our sake, we go to John 10 with um, the shepherd um, story that Jesus tells my sheep hear my voice and follow me a disciple is somebody who hears God's the voice of Jesus Jesus is their shepherd they hear the shepherd's voice and they follow there's so much in that metaphor that you know takes us back to, to Psalm 23 and all the nurturing so, so this is discipling isn't just about using people for our own agenda, building things for our own desires. There's a shepherding component at the core of it. We hear his voice and follow, but as soon as Jesus says, follow me, what's he say? And I will make you fishers of men. It's that old line where followers of Jesus are fishers of men, and if we're not fishing, we're not following. So a disciple is a Somebody who hears the shepherd's voice and follows and helps somebody else hear the shepherd's voice and follow. Okay, so that's the that's the definition for mm-hmm. us. We use that image, mm-hmm. but then that gets us to you hear the shepherd's voice and follow, helping somebody else hear the shepherd's voice and follow. Okay. So if you want to diagram it, it would begin
1: with something like that's going to go. Ahead, Bill. Okay, you can write something down. A disciple who isn't, discipling isn't. For me, it would be very easy to have conversations with each of you and figure out who's a disciple and who isn't. Because a disciple who isn't, discipling isn't. Full stop. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, once again, I don't do America I really don't do conferences and I'm sort of sort of uncomfortable sitting here looking at a bunch of Americans. I'm really at home with my inside here from China. <laughs> But so and I know that we don't do confrontations here in America. But but in many contexts we just say, Okay, you're back. Take out little piece of paper, write down names of your three best disciples. Now let's start talking to each other about our disciples and what's their challenges and what's their prayer life like and What's their fantasy life like? And, and, and let's all encourage each other by by what's going on in our disciples' life. A disciple who isn't discipling isn't. I mean, it's just just full stop. Okay? Uh, now I'm going to swing back around. Now. You know me. I tell stories. Okay? Uh, this is going to be a rough paraphrase of one section of the book of Acts. You all know... Saul was on his way to Damascus, he got blinded by Jesus, Ananias, one of them baptized him and he started preaching a bunch of stuff in Damascus, he basically just stirred up a lot of opposition, got run out of town. And then he went back to, to Jerusalem at some point and he wanted to see Peter, Peter was very afraid, Barnabas was the go-to guy, Barnabas interviewed Paul and found out he was real, introduced him to the others, and then after a very short period of time, he preached and he got run out of town again. Okay, fast forward. Um, the Gospel gets to Antioch. First time we've got a whole lot of Gentile believers. Um, the go-to guy, Peter, sends Barnabas down to Antioch and says, check this thing out. It was a, it was a check it out, see if it's real, see a bunch of heresy you got stuff on going. And Barnabas started teaching and training, and the next verse says, the disciples multiplied. Barnabas said to himself I wonder who God could use to move this thing forward and he remembered when he had interviewed Paul and Paul had shared his testimony God said I'm going to use you to reach Gentiles so Barnabas left what was one of the major multiplication movements gospel spreading the city of he left that big thing and trucked it all the way to Tarsus, I mean, we're talking a month or two, and got that guy, Paul, and brought him back to Antioch. And then Barnabas discipled Paul, and the two of them discipled a movement in Antioch, and then I'm not a big Greek scholar, but at least I figured it out, that then when the two guys were doing it together, it said the disciples greatly multiplied. Hmm. Now, here's the story here's the application Barnabas saw God was doing and he said this would be a great opportunity to disciple everyone else, now bear me out I'm not not a super PhD scholar but I've done a little research as far as we know there was never a church in the city of Tarsus here is Paul converted, Paul having a great time with Jesus and small cast up, Paul as far as we know there was never a church in Tarsus Now, we sure don't know of of some other stuff. But when Barnabas started discipling Paul in the context of Antioch, Paul started learning how to be a multiplier and a disciple. Now, here's the deal. Turn to somebody else and say, give it a thought right now. Who do you think God would use you to grab, just like Barnabas called and start a disciple. This is a name it and claim it time. This is not <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I mean, he, he, he's, he's going to be really be practical, okay? Turn to somebody else and say, who's one person that would come to your mind right now that you think God would... And I'm not, you know, part of us left the big active work of God in all of it, Tarsus, to go find Paul. So I don't know how far you got to go, where you got to go. What is one person God puts on your mind right now? That you might start investing in the extent that Barnes did Paul. And, and and if anybody here is
2: that makes them feel fearful at all, that's why it's important for me to go back to this is what it means to be a disciple maker. Can you hear God's voice and follow, and then say to somebody else, let me help you hear God's voice and follow? It's just, it
1: really needs to start as simply as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So turn somebody else, in. God give you somebody. You've got to put a face in your head and name right now that you might start really focusing on like this, but you're doing it. I know that the good learning is going on. Same. So what's the name of the face that God gave you? Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask Mike next. Matt Kaminsky. Matt Kaminsky. Okay, good name. Okay, where's Mike? Mike. Sichuan. Oh. Yes, fantastic. it. Yeah. Yes, I never gave anybody a name, but I'm a guy I work with, 25-year-old,
2: and I've spent some time talking at work. We work side-by-side, side, running machinery, we but, got, but
1: he's way out there. That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But he does come back with questions. <laughs> that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, who's the first <laughs> Heather. Heather, all right. So, this is a multifaceted thing, and I'm not going to ask you to verbally do this, but what's God going to have to do in you? make you the kind of person that that disciple could be what God wants him to be. That's probably terrible English. I don't do well with English language. But how's God going to have to change each one of us so that they follow the image of Jesus, but they learn from us what it is to be a real disciple? Here's the good news.
2: You don't have to do anything that God doesn't want you to do already. All that we're talking about is cooperating with what God is going ahead of you already to do. And therefore, we're. it's one of the reasons why we have to pray. And, and it's one of the reasons why we, I'm constantly relying on and talking to the people that I disciple. Saying, and I will be with you always. Because the next question that come up, comes up is, well, first of all, it's, okay, I don't even know who to talk to The second one is, I don't know what to say. You know, so okay, here's the answer.
1: I will be with you always. What? And a good illustration is when uh, you Hebrew children were going into the promised land, God said, I'm going to go before you. That's exactly I'm right. prepare the way, and I'm going to give it to you. That's right. And that's what he's
2: doing. And he stopped the Jordan River 18 miles upstream. <laughs> uh, and that's what he's doing for us right now. What Bill is just if I can put a language like, like what anyways, Bill he just said yeah. he's just asked who's your oikos that's the Greek word for household so the idea of who are the people do you first of all let me ask this question again do you believe in the sovereignty of God do you believe that God has called you to be a disciple maker we believe do you believe I will be with you always okay so you don't have to force a thing we have to be obedient. When, if those of you were at the Renew thing the other day, have you ever heard of the word obedience used so much at a one-day conference as it was at Renew the other day? That's, that's disciple-making. Disciple-making is simply obedience to what God is calling you to do, asking you to do. So oikos is we just pray. Every time I've done this with anybody, or even myself, you're saying, okay, Lord, who do you have in my sphere that I've never even identified as maybe this is somebody that you're calling for me to have a spiritual conversation with. And it's not a forced conversation. It's not a conversation any that violates boundaries. It may be a bold conversation because you're uncomfortable with it. But um, Lord, just to have a conversation, and I'll share with you that there's a guy I've been I've coached baseball with for years. I was telling Bill about the other day, who um, it, grew up in the church, went to a very fundamentalist college, and knows everything, and is now an agnostic. And so I've been trying to disciple him. I've had many conversations with him. They usually go about two or three hours long because he gets into the Bart Ehrman stuff and the theology stuff and all this, and. But he's still kind of, you know, hardened. But just the other day, Monday night, he sends me, he gives me a call. Actually, it's about what I'm about to speak for renew. He gives me a call, leaves a message saying, hey, I "Have a friend who was in a car accident. Would you pray for him?" I wanted to call some people that I knew would pray. She's just like, okay, the God, because I'm, but I'm praying for, for I'm literally praying for, for Mark every day. Um, Lord, help me to disciple him. So, so. So one way of language to put this is who is who are, your oikos the people that God has already put in relationship with you to have spiritual conversations with. Well, give
1: us another next step practical idea. Okay, um, I'm an old man. I've got three kids and I've got nine grandkids and I love them all equally. Some of them are really close to God. And some of them are a long, long ways from God. And they break my wife Susan at heart. But we love. Them. Okay. Once you start identifying these folks, can you love them the same way you love your own kids? Can you care for them as much as you care for your own kids? Now, one of our role models is the Apostle Paul. And I love the book of Acts and they me teach it in all kinds of ways. Okay. And what fascinated me is Probably the first book that was written in the New Testament, the first one that was written, was probably First Best and it was an action book. I mean, all oh, got chased out of Philippi, had a run stop there at Berea, Okay, went to Thessalonica, priest in the synagogue three weeks, maybe another the week they got run out of town. Let's just get, let's say, all Paul was probably in Thessalonica about four weeks max, maybe four and a half weeks, okay? And he's working full time, because he tells the people, I'm happy I didn't need your money, I'm happy I was able to support myself. So he's there for three or four weeks, and he's working full time. And then he gets run out of town to massive persecution. And then we see this first letter, which was probably written about three, three and a half months later. You are great disciples. You love the Lord. The power of your testimony has spread throughout Macedonia and Achaia. Okay. What did Paul do for the three weeks? He was in Thessalonica working full time to leave behind strong, powerful disciples. Okay. Now, i learned a bunch of stuff in seminary about what Paul taught, and I've studied the book of Romans and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I would point out that later
2: he wrote a book to them. <laughs> I keep trying yeah, to get him yeah, to write a
1: book. I know. <laughs> but in that book that he wrote to them, which is his first book to disciples, and it was written in the honest action of his suffering for their suffering. He said some things. Chapter two, he said, "I loved you like a mother loves her child." That's not my mental image of bachelor apostle Paul mm-hmm. running around shaking his head at kings and come back. Four five verses later, he said, "Like a father raising up a son, I was gentle with you." Now. The way Paul raised up disciples, at least his own pen and his own hand, <coughs> is he was like a mother with a child, and he was like a father raising up a son. You want to know the biblical example of discipleship? It is loving our disciples just like we love our kids. And are my kids perfect? No. Do have my kids make mistakes? Yes. We go. that's another whole story. Susan and I never give up on them. Susan and I pray for them every day. In the power of God, we have faith that God's going to reclaim a couple of them. How do we make disciples? Paul said, I love you like a mother with her small child. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 or 8, something like that. And then you want to know how you raise up disciples? five verses later about chapter 11 and I treated you like a father you raising up a son so I, how do we make disciples yeah can
2: I say two things real quickly yeah quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah the one is uh, Bill is speaking to you personally about how you disciple your own disciples if I could speak to ministers here that also means <laughs> um, if you feel like you have to use guilt and shame to get people to disciple or be disciples, it's not the way Jesus would do it. And it's again, it's part of the instinct that, is, that bothered me. I felt like to do discipleship, in the, in the beginning of our church, there was just a whole bunch of guilt and shaming people, and I realized that's not the way of Christ. So, so that's the one thing I would say. The other thing is this, some of you um, may feel like you've never been disciples or like you really need to have it modeled for you. Um, there's an old saying that I think is sometimes true that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, we've been praying about discipleship in new life for many years. I had to. And I have a friend. I've been in an accountability group for 15, 20 years. And one of my friends in that discipleship group is the senior minister of the church where both attends. And one Sunday on my I I take August off as a study break. I attended their church just to support my friend who's a preacher there. And, and my friend said, they need to meet Bill. This is two summers ago. And it's been like changing. It's it's but it's like, thank you, Lord. I needed, I was ready for somebody to disciple me. So if you feel like you need somebody to disciple, you pray. Lord, send somebody to disciple. You know, God's sovereign. Okay. Um, more practice. So, oikos. Karen, okay, uh, go ahead. Good comment. Yeah. Were you trying to say something? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Oikos, caring. Mm-hmm. What,
1: what's the next practical thing you teach God? <coughs> discipleship. Okay. Does that um, you disciples ain't going to do what you say. They're only going to do what you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, we've all heard it. We've all preached sermons and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you pray, they're going to pray. If you don't pray, they aren't going to pray. And then you got to get away from this American privacy stuff where you go hide in your corner and pray. I mean, <laughs> you want to kill disciple movements? Okay. You want your you want your people to pray? you got to pray with them mm-hmm. so they listen to you pray. Long, long ago, there was a lady named Bertha Smith, and a missionary in China, came back, lived in South Carolina, a lot of kind of stuff. Uh, she was invited to a pastor's conference, and that was a strange thing. But anyway, she, she, was, she was sort of obnoxious. And, and there were some of these guys who were giving her a hard time, and she said, Let's just stop this thing. Everybody get on your knees and start praying. I pray out loud, and she spent about 10 to 12 minutes walking around listening to these guys pray. She said, Really? Is that the way you talk to God? Really? No, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> My point is, people are going to pray when they listen to you pray. And people are going to pray with the fervency and the intensity that they learn from your to this sharing the same mosquito net or being transparent. Charles Wesley raised up that guy Francis Asbury because there was no hiding for that year they were together. Now I'm not saying you do this forever and ever. I mean I can think of a number of relationships I've had that have been a couple months or three or four or five months. These things don't last forever. But to make an imprint and change another believer, they got to be a part of your life. And we all know what that means. Our life starts getting better. See, if... if I have various people come to me and say, such things, say, will would you help me to be a disciple? And I don't do what John Wesley said, get a horse. I said, get yourself a couple of disciples. And I can help you disciple them because I know That's going to make a better disciple out of the person I'm talking to. Turn to somebody else and say, why does Bill not tell the person to get a horse? What does Bill tell somebody when they come to him and say, could you help me be a better disciple? Do it. Tell somebody else. I'm I'm going to change the direction of the conversation. I don't think the Apostle Paul have a discipleship strategy. <laughs> I do. I mean, I read, you've read, you tell me what, I don't think it's possible a discipleship strategy. You know this fellow Shadaka has been speaking down here? Yeah. He does not have a discipleship strategy. He doesn't. He has a strategy, so every man, woman, and lost child in Sri Lanka in Sri gonna see the gospel. He doesn't have a discipleship strategy. He has a strategy to get the gospel to every lost man, woman, and child. Actually he had a whole 19 people groups and I track his work in chats and, chat and some other places. I don't think Paul had a discipleship strategy. Paul had a strategy to get the gospel to everywhere in the Roman Empire. Discipleship is how he did it. But Paul's strategy was to give the gospel to the lost. You with me? Uh, If somebody says to me, you know, I want to be a disciple, I want to be mature, I want to be strong, let's just be frank. I don't have time to waste my time with them. If somebody says to me, I got a bunch of lost relatives. I got a bunch of lost people in my school. I got a bunch of lost people where I work. I got a bunch of lost people in my town. Help me reach them. Well, multiplying disciples is the way to get there. I'm trying to to say this with some humility, but... Most of the guys, many of the guys around the world, you hear these big numbers, and I can talk about a lot of these places, we know each other. And they've all got techniques, and they've all got, I mean, they've all got processes. But what drives every one of those guys is deep in their gut. They're just torn up by the lostness of their people. What burns in their guts is the lostness of their people. And multiplying disciples is the way to take care of it. They don't start out with a discipleship strategy. They start out just alive with the lostness of their people. And multiplying disciples is how you do
2: Yeah, I feel like you're touching on something that, at least in, in I grew up in the Church of Christ, Yes, the Dr. Church of Christ, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of what you're talking about there is kind of where we got away because we focused on evangelism without discipleship. Yes. And so I don't I don't think there was any lack for a a passion for the lost, mm-hmm. but there was a lack for a passion for discipleship. Right. We were happy to run people into the baptistry. Yes. Pat them on the back and say, "Now have a good life." Right. 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 And there was no follow up. There was no mm-hmm. walking along mm-hmm. with or anything along mm-hmm. those lines. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, I think we've got to it's a, not programmatically, but I think we've got to get that back in. You know, oh, we've, got to, we've got to absolutely. drop back into that and say, yes.
1: hey, we've got to, we've got to be more intentional about it. Right. It's like, I mean, and to, to affect that, I mean, I, I hope to address that. It's not about how many people build witnesses to today. It's about how many total people you are witness to. That's my disciples, disciples, disciples. Praise God. It's not about how many hear the gospel. <coughs> It's about how many folks are being raised up who are sharing the gospel. One of the things that drives a number of these guys who get to, and some of them, you, are you old enough to remember when computers used to have screensavers? Okay. Uh, you're old, Some of you are old enough to remember when people still had computers and laptops. These guys would boot up in the morning, and what would come across their screen is, how many of my people are going to hear the gospel today? And they would wrestle with that answer. You live in a town, you live in a neighborhood, you got a city, whatever. How many of my people are going to hear the gospel today? And what's it going to take to increase that number? Well, you increase that number by having more disciples who are sharing and more disciples who are making disciples. That is, and I'm dealing with Westerners, and so this is, a, this is the way some Westerners have phrased it every day to ask the question, how many of my people are going to hear the gospel today? So discipleship is the way you move that number. So a couple
2: of things, if I could get, get a practice, kind of wrap some things together. Yep. So complexity makes it really difficult. It's driven by loss, and so what Bill said is, if you want to start a disciple-making movement, and he was gonna coach you, disciple you, he wouldn't tell you, go start a disciple-making movement, go start five small groups, go. he would say, Pray about your oikos and who are two people that you can disciple that God would have you to start these spiritual conversations with. If you are driven by lostness, you are not going to need you eventually will need strategies. You'll eventually need all of that stuff. But your first thought isn't going to be, what's my strategy? What's my your first thought is going to be, okay, Lord, help me have some spiritual conversations with these people. And you're going to figure out the com- the way to have the conversations. You're going to figure out strategies. You're going to figure out the stuff that's on. The complexity here that leads you to simplicity here, but if if it's all about if your primary thought is I can't do this until I have a strategy, you're not really driven by lostness or by the Holy Spirit. You're driven by uh, um, confidence in the flesh. And one of the reasons that there's I think one of the reasons there's multiplying multiplication movements in places like China is because they, they don't depend on the flesh. It was just, it's a sobering quote that um, 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 from Francis Chan. Bobby likes to use it. Where Francis Chan says it's kind of scary to him that he can build a church of 4,000 without the Holy Spirit. In the United States, we, can, we have means of the flesh to create that stuff. This demands and
1: depends on the whole spirit. So uh, you know where Hainan Island is, this little province of China we started going down for me, Christians. Uh, a friend of mine got Curtis was the one guy who used to sort of spark the movement down you know, there. I was down doing training one time. And there was a young guy, 28, 20, 25 years old, something like that. He'd been a believer about six weeks, and he was in a little small town. And in the course of a conversation, he said he was gonna go to the next town. I Apparently mean, he had some relatives in the next little town now. And in the conversation, he finally said, with the Bible in my hand, and with Jesus in my heart, I've got everything I need to go to this town and reach my relatives and do God's. Now, was there vast amounts of ignorance? The kind of thing he read the Old Testament. I know he had gotten as far as the end of the New Testament. But he said, with the Bible in my hand, Jesus in my heart, I've got what I need. Go to this next town and reach my relatives and do what God wants. So depends on God. God is with the gospel is powerful. Uh, and, and this wasn't some lone ranger. I mean, he was gonna check back with a, a teacher, trainer in that town that I was in, that kind of stuff. But he was driven by the losses of the relatives. And he knew the gospel's powerful, it changed him, and he figured out. Okay. Could you speak
2: to both the boldness and the gospel again? The, with, the, I think my lack of boldness sometimes is because I'm not. It's not that I'm not convinced of the veracity of the gospel. I'm just not always confident that the gospel is really going to transform the life of the person I'm talking to. Okay, in the Holy Spirit. Okay. So would you speak about both right. the boldness? Okay. Because The thing that I see in disciple uh, makers okay. like okay. Bill or, or Jeff McDaniel is they have this crazy boldness. Okay. Did
1: I ever heard of Wayne Gretzky? Yeah. Who's Wayne Gretzky? Yeah. What's he famous for? Hockey. Yeah, now, what, what's he famous for in hockey? I didn't know Slap shots. Okay. He's a high, high, high scoring guy. Maybe the highest I would keep that kind of stuff. So, Wayne Gretzky said, you miss every shot you don't take. <clears throat> you miss every shot you don't take. Okay? Now, anybody ever heard of Babe Ruth? He's famous for two things. In American baseball, he hit more home runs than anybody else. But he holds another lifetime record. You know what it is? Strikeouts. Strikeouts. Yeah, swing at everything coming your way, and praise God if you don't go the fence. And you're going to strike out a whole bunch of times. Now, you miss every shot you don't take. Boldness from the fact that I know two-thirds of the people I've witnessed to are going to say no. I know that when I get up in the morning. I know that when I'm out in any situation. I know that most of the people i witness witnessed to are going to say no. That does not deter me. That doesn't inhibit me. I know most of the people i witness witnessed to are going to say no to God. So knowing that in advance, my expectation is if the Spirit of God shows up, something's going to happen. But most of the time, the people I would I would say
2: yes. Let me make it really practical. Yes. Um, when you go into Starbucks or, or Tim Hortons, what's on your mind? When you walk into Walmart, what's on your mind? I'll tell you what's on my mind. I want to get my coffee and I want to be left alone. I want to get my stuff at Walmart and I want to be left alone. That's not how disciple makers walk into Walmart or <laughs> Tim Hortons. They walk into Walmart thinking, does God have a spiritual conversation for me to start with right now? We have staff right now. When they go to dinner, they're, they're saying to their staff, hey, we're going to be praying over our meals. When you come back with the meal, let us know how we can pray over your meal. And God's used that to start spiritual conversations and to lead some people to Christ. But that's boldness. Um, I dare you, sometime this week, when you're going to go out, to have that conversation with your weight staff. The, uh, the spiritual warfare will ensue. And all these spirit unless you're like Bill or really extroverted, I tend to be introverted. You're gonna be like, I don't wanna be embarrassed, I don't wanna make them feel uncomfortable. <coughs> and that's where it comes to, okay, do I really believe that this person could be facing a godless eternity? And I care more about them than I do my own comforts. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I also believe in the power of the gospel to save lives. This is what convinces people. It's not how persuasive I am. It's not what argument I use. But I know that if they hear the gospel, they're saying yes or no to God. And not, mm-hmm. not yes or no to me. All right. So one of the formative experiences, I started out a missionary career 14 years in Thailand. There are not very many Christians in Thailand. And to get up, in that first couple years, we the university evangelism and slum trip. You know, but to get up every morning and hit the campus and know that maybe today, every single person I talk to is going to say no to the gospel. And get up tomorrow morning and go back to campus. That's what it's about. Can I
2: ask a question? Yes. I feel like... The spiritual gifts, and you think about, you know, you're gifted to be an evangelist. Some are gifted mm-hmm. to be an evangelist or a teacher or an apostle or whatever, whatever. I think that sort of evolved into saying, well, that's not my gift.
1: You're right. So
2: I'm not going to do that. You're right. So what is what is your understanding of that
1: gift of evangelism? And sure, how does that sure, tie sure. into every Christian okay. being spiritually molded okay. and confident well, in the Well, the first, the first thing is, I don't have a gift of evangelism. I mean, that, this. This is suck it up and do it, Bill. <laughs> this, this is not the love of my life. Now, we have a mutual friend named Jeff who is a gifted evangelist. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I was a gifted evangelist, I wouldn't have like a one out of ten batting record in personal evangelism. I am not a gifted evangelist. i have a bit of a teacher and a trainer and some other kind of things. You know why I do it? Jesus told me to. Mm-hmm. And... It's not a matter of gifting. Jesus told me to. And and I
0: recognize, like he just said, many of the people that I
1: meet, I may be the only Christian they ever meet in their entire life. And what am I going to say to Jesus? But he said, Bill, I brought this person to you, and you didn't give a chance here. So there there are things, and I'll say, I I think I know some of them, of my spiritual, but evangelism I not mean, it. This is just raw obedience in many situations. And, read, and he has seen me when I'm uncomfortable and that kind of stuff. Okay, so so let, let, me, let me address that. I think, well I know I have friends who are really gifted evangelism. I'm not one of them. I'm just a disciple and disciples obey. Let's, let's just get rude and crude. It's an obedience thing.
2: I'm obedient. Are there any other points that you want to make before we... I mean, I
1: wish we had lots of time to talk, but before yes. we open yes. up for questions. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. <clears throat> you know what one of my prayers was this morning? Somebody in this room is going to be the next Henrietta Mears. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. And, and another one of my prayers is that there'll be somebody in this room who's gonna grab some boy like a Francis Asbury and take him along with you for a year. And that's gonna be the person who turns around North America. You with me? I mean, you wanna know why I'm here? Yeah, he's my friend. He dragged me, me, screaming, and, you know. That's once I figured out I gotta be here, okay? So then what's, what's my prayer for you? There's gonna be somebody here Touch a life, and God is going to use that life just like some of these well-known names that I used. And I never know what advancement it's going to be. <laughs> I don't have a gift in discernment. I can't tell who God's going to use. But in faith, there's a couple people here, maybe more. God only knows. You're going to touch a life, you're going to transform a life, and that person is going to turn around to society. And then, my prayer is that every single one of you are going to touch some lives. we are going to touch other lives. we are going, to going to touch other lives. I mean, every once in a while, there's the enemy out of the mirrors. God's going to use your race of the milligrams the world. But every single one of us, God's going to use us to touch
2: people touch people. Let me give you one practical thing to take it. home. Go for it. Um, in my wallet, there is a list. I would encourage you to make this list. Yep. Some of you probably have it. Who yep. are the people that you're praying for that you're going that you are discipling? Who are the people you're praying for that you want to disciple? The people that you think are the people that are in your way, cause or sphere of influence, that you can start a disciple making conversation with. And again, it's don't violate and don't feel like you have to be pushy or violating. Appropriate boundaries. It's just starting conversations mm-hmm. and seeing how the Lord leads. The most important thing in those conversations is to is to have the next to set up the next conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, just for what it's worth, if it's encouraging to you, last week, two weeks ago, at one of my disciple, one of my small groups, a guy came and he said, I had a discipleship conversation with this guy that I'm coaching with, but I know I did it all wrong, and he walked me through it, and it's like you did exactly our, we, our conversations are. Um, how would you find out their story? What's your story? Find out how their story intersects with God's story. You share how your story, listen for clues, how your God's story intersects with their story. It sets you up to have a gospel conversation story. And the thing is he had done all of that. He just didn't realize he'd done all of that. (laughs) He followed the, it's like, and the,
0: the, the Lord led him all the way. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple-makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple-making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple-maker.